an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 877. This episode is brought to you by Loot Crate. Uh, Loot Crate are incredible items that get delivered to you every month without fail. You're going to spend a little bit of money, and you're going to get a big return in both joy and also dollar amount versus what you spent on it. Uh, it's pop culture stuff. It's it, they, These are unique, one-of-a-kind items that are made just for you. Uh, it's gear, housewares, collectibles. And then you know it's coming, but then you forget. So then it comes, and then it's even better. And they've expanded. So if you want bigger loot, you can get Loot Crate DX. Or if you want stuff for your pets, there's Loot Pets. Scout, you could get stuff. <laughs> That's what I think Scout sounds like. That's what Scout sounds like when Scout is having a, a dream yeah. while we're podcasting. and then just, She was just doing that just now. I don't know if you heard her. She's doing running, chasing something. I don't know. I like, to, I like to... Sometimes it sounds like a nightmare, but because I love her so much, I like to think it's not a nightmare and that she's just chasing squirrels. And so uh, you, you have to get down and like just pet yeah. her and whatever. Oh, all the, okay. we'll be like in the other room sometimes watching TV and she's in the bedroom because she goes to bed at like eight o'clock. I got to show you some pictures, she by the way, that. because we did an episode of At Midnight that's airing uh, tonight, Tuesday, the 6th of June with the cast of Downward Dog. Love that show. Watch that show. It's so good. Okay. So here's what we did. We partnered with a place called Paw Works, yeah. which is like uh, a, a rescue place. A rescue, place. yeah. And they brought, we had a couple of pens. Uh, we had a <gasps> pen of rescue puppies and a pen of rescue dogs. And I, I, want them I was playing with the rescue puppies and they said, well, don't play with the rescue dogs and then go back to the puppies because the puppies are still too young to have had their shots. But they were, I'm going to show you pictures, Katie. Oh my God. That oh my is going to blow your, I'm going to have to watch. This is tonight? It's tonight. Uh, I'm just going to show this to you, Katie, and then you can just sort of react. <gasps> oh my God. That's, you should adopt that puppy. That's Roderick. Oh, I was sleeping on the puppy pile. I love. I all can't puppy because animals. of our cat Anubis. He's they not could... cool. He's a great cat, but he's not cool with other animals. Oh. So anyway, we could get loot pets for Anubis or loot pets for one of these rescue pups. Uh, the Adopt expo- a pet and get loot pets. Sorry, loot pets. <laughs> <laughs> well, in June's loot crate, you're going to find items from Spider-Man, Transformers, the Hulk, DC Comics, and then one subscriber will win a mega crate of epic proportions. You have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, it's over. So go to lootcrate.com slash Nerdist. Enter the code Nerdist to save 10% off any new subscription today. But Katie, it seems like you have uh, something to share from the Nerdist community corkboard. I do. Uh, we had a guy, Nick Ralg. It's 
R-A-L-G. I have no idea how to pronounce that. He's a 24-year-old sing singer-songwriter from Webster, New York. He has a SoundCloud music page, and uh, he would love people from the Nerdist community to listen to it. He said the podcast has been a big influence on the way that he looks at creating and putting out his own material. So uh, you can find all – he records it all himself. Oh, that's cool. I'm a little Tascam uh, eight-track studio recorder. Oh, that's cool. So you can find all his stuff on SoundCloud by searching Nick Rolg, and that's R-A-L-G. Uh, also, I just want to remind people that there's plenty of other stuff always happening at Nerdist. We have a whole roster of amazing podcasts like Will You Accept This Rose, The Jackie and Lori Show, Puck Soup, The Writer's Panel, and way more. Plus, there are amazing, hilarious, and affordable live shows at the Nerd Melt showroom every night. You can go to nerdmeltla.com dot com to find out more info and if you are interested in learning how to write or perform comedy yourself good uh you should join the nerdist school there's sketch improv acting classes and you can find out all that info at nerdistschool.com fantastic uh also the id10t festival is coming up june 24 and 25 at the shoreline amphitheater in mountain view california right in the heart of silicon valley <laughs> uh and so in addition to bands like weezer and okay go we have a comedy stage with comedians like uh we got your garfunkel and oats we have uh dimitri martin michael che um bunch of great comics and then a comic-con in the center of it we have some panels there's gonna do they're gonna do a harmontown there live gonna harmontown. live nurse podcasts um Portlandia panel, Stan Against Evil panel, and then uh, some other panel. Uh, Portlandia. Ooh, did nice. I say Portlandia? I no. think you did. Or maybe I, I said Harmontown. Portlandia. And then, uh, or I'll just say Portlandia two or three times. <laughs> and then some more panels that we're about to announce. So uh, go to ID10TFest.com and come join us up in Northern California at the end of the month. Uh, this episode is TJ Miller. He's promoting his new special, Meticulously Ridiculous, which is Saturday, June 17th on HBO. Uh, and then it'll be on HBO Go and HBO Now. And then listen to Cashing In with TJ Miller, the podcast on the Nerdist Network um, with uh, TJ and Cash. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's that. This episode also brought to you by Audible, which has the best audiobook performances, the largest library, and most exclusive content. Pretty much anything you want. Uh, you can listen to, which is great because I don't always have time to sit down and open a book and look at the words. I'm on my way to places. I'm traveling. Uh, it's very helpful You're for me busy. to be able to listen. I'm busy in Los Angeles. I'm in my car all the time. Right now, I'm listening to a book called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which is uh, it's of this method, the, the KonMari method, mm -hmm. which uh, was, it's, was created by this woman named Marie Kondo, and she... It, it, uh, it's this method of, of learning how to tidy up all the, the crap in your house and in your life. Yeah. But it's all tied to, you know, we have psychological reasons that we are messy. And so it, it basically teaches huh. you how to declutter your life in a way that ultimately will make you happier. Because, you know, when your house is less cluttered, when your workspace yeah. is less cluttered, there's less clutter in your mind, That's and so it, they, it kind of works back and forth. But I'm listening. I'm listening to that now, so uh, that I'm pretty excited about. That sounds awesome. That this. sounds like it would be very helpful for a lot of people. I think it would be uh, helpful for a lot of people. So yeah, that's it. Uh, the the life changing magic of tidying up. I'm listening to it on Audible, and and wherever I listen to it, whether it's on the phone or on the computer, or whatever, it's uh, it 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 saves wherever you are oh, in the book. That's great. So you don't have to find it again on another device. It's just it, it's consistent on all your devices. Uh, you get all of your stuff on on any one of your devices, and you own these things. And so uh, it's just a great way to be able to absorb content instead of listening to the same playlist or the same you know Spotify playlist that you listen to over and over again or Pandora Station. 
fill your head with something, you know, try a mystery book or a romance novel or a sci-fi book or, or something nonfiction or some way to some, – something self-help related. Improve your life. You can do that and Audible will help you do that. Uh, start your 30-day trial at Audible. for It's free. You can learn more at audible.com slash Nerdist. That is audible.com slash Nerdist. Here's Nerdist Podcast number 877 with TJ Miller. A three-peat. This is number three, right? TJ's yeah, number three. three. All right, Katie, roll the number three. Now entering Nerdist.com. All of the other things. I do. Yeah, we squeeze it in throughout the uh, throughout the day because it's the only time. That's what I'm most. Excited. Are those Emoji Movie cups? Yes, my bodyguard oh, bought them for me. Great. Explain that. Let's try and explain that. Well, you know what it, it sounds like. It sounds like you have the most caring and sensitive bodyguard in the entire business. He is. Do you know that he, more so than Kevin Costner in The Bodyguard? Do you know that he cried when he dropped his daughter off at the airport? I mean, how tender is that? Because um, he was working with us in New Orleans, and he also is afraid to fly and could only fly with Megan O, my best friend, mm-hmm. because she gives him Xanax and will hold his hand. That's really sweet. He's so I guess what we got from that is yeah, that yeah, yeah. you've made him not hang out with his daughter to drag him all over the place. Absolutely. And he's the first to say, you know. Now, how many people really come at TJ like, oh, I need to score off with this guy. Oh, wait, he has a bodyguard. How 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 necessary? Like how often? He's not supposed to answer this because of an NDA. But you can tell him. Tell him. Tell him in New Orleans. In New Orleans, we had quite a few problems. Um, Who is it? Is it? Uh, is it? Uh, is it Mad? Uh, it's it's, the it's people that Mucinex didn't work for. Yeah. What's going on? Sure. Like by name, they're like, "Hey, you're that guy from that," and then he'll be like, "Yeah, I'm that guy." Thanks. And then they'll get kind of heated that he didn't really recognize them as a fan. Sure. More like uh, get the heck away from me. Kind of. <laughs> sure. He, and then they get even more pissed, and then I'm kind of like that. And they're like, yeah. He also he's he's a very good liaison to get us in and out of places, but sometimes. He's actually protecting other people from us. Gotcha. Because Kate, when she goes for it, she really goes for it. And it, it can be dangerous. Yeah, exactly. So I'm a she gets the mean picnic red. basket, bitch. Yeah. Motherfucker, it's a picnic basket. Picnic basket. Uh, how you been? Great, man. I, I was excited to come on just even to ask you, like, what is your life like right now? Well, I mean, it's. I would imagine it's similar to yours, and just that it's it's a flurry of a lot of different things at flurry once. Flurry is an understatement. <laughs> I mean, you are talking dead. You're talking. I, I am walls. You're talking. You're talking about talking about preacher. I mean, meta. But in but in such a great way. Like you oh, just thanks. you found a way to comment on everything, to be able to continue to interview people, to have this show that is so funny. Oh, I mean, thanks, man. And like fun. Like that you're one of the few shows on the air that is just fun. It's just about fun. I mean, it's funny how long I've known you and you were like yeah. in the first year of the podcast, yeah. I think. Maybe the first yeah. or second year of the podcast. And uh just to see Everything that you've done too, and and like you know, I don't know. It's it's always fun to me to when you watch, you know, like when you sort of start out with people, and then you kind of watch, go, oh, they're doing that. Oh, that's yeah. really interesting. They found that 
path. You yeah, know, yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's great. I think it's really great. Do you have you sort of? Is it strange to have done certain things that people kind of not have been derivative of, but have like looked to you and then in the wake of your success have tried to have their version of it? Oh, like but other then, talking shows yeah, or like or, – or, or just the way that you've – and then suddenly to have departed and now when I look at you, there's just no one else that can keep up with the amount no. of work that you're doing. I mean, and I also – I look – you know, I look at Aziz and I look at – Amy and I really look at you and I look at those people and say, well, how are they handling? Also, Chelsea Handler, I think, is a person that I'm always fascinated by. How do they handle so much? You're creating so much stuff. You're making so much and responding to fans and being present. I think a lot of it has to do. Well, first of all, I have a really nice. There really is an economy of energy Mm -hmm. that that every person has, and you sort of have to figure out. What that is, and it probably lies somewhere in between. It's that a little, it's, it's, it's a little bit more than you think it is, yeah. And it's probably, you know, a little bit less than what your idealized version of it would be, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. So it's really just finding ways to economize that energy. So, like, I have a, an amazing wife in a very stable relationship, so that takes a lot of energy off the plate because I'm not managing a. either no relationship or a bad relationship. And and me too. I mean, you know, and that is something if anybody wants to, there's a reason to be in a healthy functioning relationship. It is in part because that's the only way that you can do everything that you are capable of. Absolutely. And I, like, I don't think, and Lydia, and I haven't spent much time with you guys, but I'm really good friends with Will, her cousin. Uh And, I just you know, there's such a kindness. Yeah, there's she's she's great, and yeah. and and I think it's also like if I were smart, if I know, were tindering, if I were, if I were single yeah. and tindering, I don't think my life would be the same because I think it would just be so chaotic and and not have any foundation, and it'd be it just wouldn't it wouldn't be good. So there's that, and then honestly, you know, the big I think the biggest thing for me that allows me to do everything is really just sobriety, like not doing anything because it just takes. So I'm much- quite the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> it just takes so much energy to for it would for me it takes a lot of energy it would have taken a lot of energy to maintain that. Do you have an addictive thing. personality that went from you know non sobriety to work? Sure, I mean because I think a lot of people do that with working out. They suddenly they get sober and they're huge. Well, they that's the thing is it can't I, stop doing this one thing that is going to make them makes the dopamine it, activate etc. Yeah, because I, I and it took me probably. You know, now I'm – what year is it? 2017, two or three. So four – It is the Armageddon. It is the Armageddon It is the year. absolute burning of the American <laughs> empire. So yeah, it's 2017, 2017. Buddy. So uh, – Go down in the books. I'm 14 years in from quitting and drinking and, and it took me probably 12 years to figure out that the term alcoholism – like the thing about alcoholism is that it's – I, I don't even like the word because it's not about alcohol. It's about the fact that I have an obsessive personality type. Mm. And alcohol was a manifestation of that. And I definitely see that. And I, but I knew at the time when I quit drinking, I said, I know I, have an, I, I know I have this unnatural ability to focus on things. For a while, it's been drinking and being in my own head. Yeah. So I'm going to try to focus on work as I try to f- understand why I'm this way. Mm-hmm. I, knew, I knew that I was moving the obsession from one thing to another. But my, my feeling was, at least this is more constructive. As I try to understand... 
how to have a healthy relationship with everything and then just, you know, and and that's a never-ending process. No, but to be sure and, you know, comedy itself, I've always thought it's a bit of an opiate and it's such a healthy way of sort of being happy, being excited, being distracted, sure. all that sort of stuff. But I grew up in a household that was both atheist and believed strongly in medication, mm-hmm. right? And so the aid of – right now I take Keppra, which kind of keeps me alive, and also Lamictal, which helps sort of curb – the mania that I'm prone to, but also my mother just, and my father. So we see alcohol, marijuana, all of that as kind of a medication. And you know, you pursue moderation and it's not always easy, but it was a thing where all of my friends, my great uncle there, there's a difference between once you drink that activates this need to keep drinking, Sure, drink more, drink more, drink more. And what Kate and I do, which is kind of like let that be the way that we temper this extreme anxiety and focus and period of sobriety, that's that's kind of our moderation. Are you that- worried about mixing alcohol with the with the 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 pills that you have to take to stay? It's it's always in moderation. I mean, Kepra specifically. You know, the big danger is uh, just it's hard on your liver. Just like it, people that just take Advil, they just pop. Oh, yeah. Advil, it's so bad for your liver. So I take a lot of supplements to kind of – but it's – you know, I remember my neurologist said uh, – and so what you're going to want to do is you can't drink until you black out. And I was like, that's no one's aim at right. all. No one is like starts out the night and is like – can't wait till I'm face down in a bowl of Cheerios <laughs> at 7 p.m. I still see lights. That I threw. Right, exactly. Um, but, you know, what was interesting was to see him go from, well, marijuana doesn't really help, but, you know, it's certainly not going to hurt, to in the last few years saying it is, it does have anti-seizure properties and actually can be quite good for anxiety and for slowing the brain down. That's been an interesting transition. What's your anxiety about? Is it is it is it just sort of physiological or is it emotional in nature? Have you figured that out? Wow, he has the hard hitting questions. That and then we can talk that's about. That's why they call him Hardwick. Then we can talk about balls and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and poops <laughs> and, and stuff. Boba Fett. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> balls and Boba Fett. The Chris Hardwick story. The unauthorized autobiography. I would totally authorize that. What are you yeah, talking about? It's the best title in the world. I would authorize all three of those things: balls and Boba Fett. Uh, you know, I think. Yeah, I get anxious that I'm not doing. Uh, the best job that I can do because it's so important to me to do comedy that people are like, wow, yeah, that really – I'm reminded of that two weeks later and it makes me laugh. You know, you have yeah. to do a certain caliber. of So it's that and then it's also, you know, I want to make sure that Kate's life is full of opportunity and ease and all those things. I want to be a good son and cousin and nephew and all those sorts of things. It's a lot to take on. But I I really do uh, – I do love it, you know? Even in the wake of like decisions like leaving Silicon Valley, I just – I love those things and I love the possibility of doing more stuff. Probably like – I mean, you know, I've always wanted to ask you this. Why do you keep doing more? Um, it's just – I think it's just like, like exercising, you know, yeah. where you – Get to a Which, certain you look point. good. You look healthy. Oh, sir. thanks, thanks. You get to That's a certain something that Los Angeles guys can say to each other. Looking hey, good, look man. You lost weight. Hey, yeah, hey, nice, so nice chest. Yeah, uh, <laughs> nice chest. Great shoes. <laughs> I have balls and both. 
<laughs> I feel like um, you know it, you you things are either in a state of growth or in they're in a state of decay, and so I feel like it's only natural. Or for me, it feels natural that when you kind of get to a certain point with something, where you kind of okay, I got this. I understand how to do this. How do I evolve it? How do I grow it? How do I you know can I can I make it sprout in a different direction? Can I try yeah. something new? And I think that's just to constantly stay stimulated. And and then also there's part of it that's you know like I like video games. There's part of it that's like a video game. Like you you know you know if you're really immersed in you a like game, beating each level, you sure. just kind of you know you jump the levels. But hopefully in life there's you know there's never a final boss. Like it's just always a series of boss levels that you have to get to. And so I think some of it's that for me is like okay I know how to do this now. What if I were to, you know, if everything I'm doing, is there a way that they all connect or how can I make them grow or can I try this new thing or can I, you know, like you know, now I'm, I'm developing a science show for NBC because I yeah. love science. It's just like, why not? Why not try that? If it I doesn't like work, idea. fine. If it works, great. Morgan Spurlock came to me and was like, can we do a series about the brain? And I was like, absolutely. Just like Emoji, the Emoji Movie. I'm in a film. I don't know if all the listeners know. I'm in a film called The Emoji Movie. Right. And they said, will you parasail into gun film festival in a yellow tuxedo? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> life is a game, but not one that you're trying to win something else that i said on your program last time i was on was uh it's better to be polarizing than neutralizing yes and you know now i feel i feel similarly that like it is this game with no final boss you are and the reason i like the idea of it all being a game is because it's fun games are for fun and so that's kind of what life is, and I don't like video games. I think they're a waste of time, and you should learn a <laughs> different language to maybe sort of understand the human condition from a different perspective, but that's fine. You like Gears of War 11. Listen, I don't – and by the way, I don't entirely disagree because I just spent I just, I just spent literally 200 hours yes, playing Zelda. Yes, it's an addiction. Thomas Middleditch. But I also know what? that when I come home at night, it does help my brain unwind a little bit, mm -hmm. but I also think – God, what if I had been writing jokes for 200 hours? Like, what would those jokes, you well, know? Now, here's, here's another question that you I had for you. can't work all the time. And we don't have to talk about it, but um, you and I had a great conversation uh, on the telephone, which is an antiquated sort of technology, the idea of speaking to one another. Somewhat and, familiar with it. And so uh, you said to me, I said, well, do you want to do more stand-up? And you said, you know, I think that there are so many things that pull my attention, so many things that I can do. You said that, let's be honest, I mean, guys like you and me don't necessarily, being a great, 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 iconic stand-up isn't maybe, it just seemed like it wasn't necessarily your priority, but also that you sort of said, look at how much stuff I'm doing. I mean, how can I possibly devote the Hannibal Burris amount of time to stand-up to become you know, that stand up. And I wanted to ask you about that. Sure. Do you still feel similarly? You yeah. have more things in production now than ever. I mean, that's the thing. You're is in every plat. You're the only other guy that's in every <laughs> plat. We are the two most irritating people <laughs> in the United States of America because we are on every fucking platform. Yes. It's a disaster. Yes. They can't turn try to get away from us. <laughs> Fuck you. Oversaturation is our modus yeah. operandi. We're basically, I'm surprised at a certain point, America's going to take out a restraining order on I us. I hope so. Uh, <laughs> tell us to uh, stop. You cannot come within 500 yards exactly. of any program <laughs> any and, and if you see a camera right. you're not allowed to yeah, right, exactly. but uh you know i <laughs> in, my heart is always uh if if you if someone asked me what i would do i would say i'm a stand-up that's yeah. where my heart always is that's what i always wanted to always, be i've always known you as a comedian yes and so there are times when my 
career has pulled me – you know, I started doing a lot of stuff so that – I could get more known so that people would come to my shows. It was all of it was right. created. That's something that Nerdist, awesome. all of it was so yeah. that people would understand so that they would come to shows. And uh, But then I got to a point where like, – You I took have, over Hollywood and then no, you're like, you know what? No. I don't need to stay in Holiday Inn every well, weekend. <laughs> I don't need – I mean although a Hampton Inn is great in a pinch. <laughs> a Hampton Inn is great in a pinch. Good bed. It's not, it's not a Red Roof Inn but I mean, it's some sort of inn. But, uh, but I also um, – I, I, I do feel bad sometimes because – you know, every week I'll get the emails from the comedy store. Hey, do you want to come in this week? We have mm-hmm. shows Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I go, fuck, I really want to, but I'm working this day and this day. And then when I get off, I'm going to be exhausted. Or you, or you want to spend time with – I want to yeah. spend time right. with my wife. And and so I feel bad inside. Like I'm not I'm not pursuing stand-up the way I should. It's like and, not calling your mother. And, and then I have to remember that – Oh, Abe knows. <laughs> <laughs> he had a close relationship with his mother. Well, it's a good thing to have. Yeah. But you but I also know that um yes, I could quit everything I'm doing and just focus on stand up and try to be a great great stand up or you know, I could have this nice diverse portfolio of things that I'm doing that all satisfy me in different ways, do stand up when I can do stand up and still enjoy the process. Like I don't feel like I never thought, like, I need to be the greatest. I need to be Louie. Like, I don't need to be well, that. Buddy, your portfolio is a fucking encyclopedia. I want to be a good comic, but I don't feel like if I die without having been considered, like, a super comic, I'm okay with that because I know what I would have to do in my life and what I would have to give up in order to achieve that. And I, and I don't think – it's sort of like, um, you know – if you if you go yeah I want to be like I was talking with my trainer about the strongman competitions and it's like as this- a trainer I have an ironic bodyguard <laughs> I've had the same guy for thirteen years twelve yeah. years and we were oh, talking about this we know each other ten years oh, yeah sure damn. same deal dude same same deal. same deal different reality but it, you know it's like the guys who do the bodybuilding and stuff like hey. You can do that, but what you would have to give up in order to achieve that level, do you want to give do you is that do you want to sacrifice all that to become that? And that's why I quit Silicon Valley. <laughs> and that's why. Yeah. Cuz you I just mean, it was just too much. I think that this, you know, I am consistently surprised by your ability to not only do more work, but the work that you do is different or instead of being derivative of stuff you've done before is a different version of it, another a newer perspective, right? And not like class, you know, you you are a nerd, but at the forefront of all of the newest, nerdiest stuff while still paying homage. I mean, we're in a room with Boba Fett and fucking Darth Vader. I mean, the wallpaper is Star Wars, the classic, classic thing that created fanboys. I'm consistently impressed by that. I was getting to a point where – um I just – I was working so much and when I wasn't working, I was explaining to Kate how I was – I'm going to work less. Right. <laughs> right. I'm, but, but, and but there will be a it. point where I – and so finally this was that ultimate gesture which is like I'll, I'll – I will remove the most stable, the most safe, the thing that I am could easily phone in. I'm going to remove those four months completely from our life. And I'm going to be a stand-up comic in New York City supporting you and helping build an art career that is already burgeoning, that is already kind of coming to prominence. But instead of saying, hey, I'll be in Los Angeles, you can either come here and feel trapped in the strip mall of a city for four months or I can show you truly that I want to support what you're doing and also like pay attention 
to stand up, stop kind of being a comic that would put out a special every five years or something and be the comic that is turning over that material and getting it done and going to Omaha and having people be like, that's strange, but I love it. And knowing that, okay, this is, I'm connecting with this section of America and this section. And that's also the most that I can do pitching in with the current state of affairs. I mean, we're in a serious fucking problematic situation. (laughs) And the only way that I can talk about it is directly through, it's great to be a part of a satirical show where my character is well liked. But if I want to speak directly to the American public, the only way to do that is stand up. And I just did not have the time to do that and to live a life that would inform the comedy that I'm doing was, it was, Talk about burning the candle at both ends. I was burning it in the middle of it as well. (laughs) Well, and ultimately... With Slim Jim. When I think you're... Greg the Mediocre Genie. Check it out. It's not funny or die. (laughs) When you're young, I think you always go, more, 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 more. I have to have more of this, more of that, and money. I got to have this. And then at a certain point, you go, I think I just need to be happy. And so if that means leaving something, whatever it is... That someone will go, well, how could you do that? Well, because I just need to pursue something else to just feel happy and fulfilled. That's the best thing you can do in life. And I know there will be a point where, you know, after I shot my first special, I I had a a year of lightly doing stand-up. And then I got back in full. And I've had a year from my special of lightly doing stand-up. But at a certain point, I will start cutting stuff out so I can focus on that again because I always go back to it. I think so. And I think, you know, Ellen, strangely, Ellen and I had this conversation where she was like, you know what? I'm going to go back and do stand-up and it's scary and it's crazy. I had the same conversation with her. And it was funny to hear her say that. Like, you're an amazing comic. What are you talking about? You're like, well, wait a second. You're one of the all-time. But she did the same thing. She found that this daytime talk show, if she really threw herself into it and made it great, then it could be something, I mean, where she signs off saying, be kind to one another. I mean, she's one of the deepest, best, smartest comedic minds working today. And she, I think, is doing what you and I are talking about. This is what happens. Once you've diversified yourself to this point, you're also going to slowly cut things out and make it bo- more about yourself. And the most yourself you are is when you're a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Not that you don't. I mean, At Midnight is a perfect example of you just like being so ridiculous, looking directly into the camera, being like, are you kidding me here? But also like marveling and laughing along with Steve Agee saying the most funny, funny thing <laughs> I love that a person could say in that moment. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And But you're also choosing and picking new talent that you're like, I'd like to give you – people should know this person more. You've always been about that too, which is something that I'm about. My sketch group, Heavyweight, are they, those are the guys that write and Mr. Davis. Those are the guys that write uh, the Critics' Choice Awards. And you've always been about kind of helping prop other people I up. love comedy. Is, I what, love what, funny What's the people. impetus behind that? Because sometimes you'll kind of focus more on giving prominence or the spotlight to somebody else rather than yourself. You're a host of a game show rather than doing your Pete Holmes crashing. And this was the, you know, the difficult part of my life and it's all autobiographical. I don't know. Cause I, I just, I love comedy. So I, for me to be on a show, like I legitimately don't care where the best joke comes from, whether yeah. it's from me or anyone else on the show. Okay. I just want the best joke to yeah. be out there in the world because I love comedy. So I don't, I don't care about that. I, you know, like when, I remember like doing when I was doing open mics, 
new people would come in and some you know i remember some of the other comments would be like fuck this this guy you know it's like an actor from a show is trying to stand up now i go let him who cares there's more comedy in the world and and you know if they don't love it they're not going to keep doing it like right. just let them and if people don't like it then they won't keep doing it and, i agree and then also i feel like the more i think there's a healthy form of competition in the sense that you know, the more out there there is, the more it forces you to go, okay, well, how do I find what I do, what's specific to me? It just forces you, it should force you to understand who you are more as a performer so that you can stand out, you know, yeah. so that you can create well, original it, stuff. It helps elevate other people. Kate always says this. You like the competition and you don't care who wins. Well, yeah, there's it's like for me, it's it's that's where I like film because I can go in and when, a, when there's a really great film yeah. happening, it is everybody. Steven Spielberg doesn't care if his idea is in the movie, he just wants the best idea, the best moment. It's exactly what you're saying. You're like, everyone is working together. To find the best piece of comedy, and that should be there's no egos, there's nobody, it doesn't, nobody gets credit. It's like, you know, everybody dies, you don't, there's no legacy, there's no, it's just trying to do the best thing you can. Well, yeah, and I like, together. and I like, I like seeing people succeed. I like, you know, I used to hear stories about yeah, Jack too. Benny, just love it, he didn't care who had the best joke on his show. And I always, that always resonated with me. And then Harold Ramis said something in an interview once years ago. About being com- be- being unhealthily competitive, and he just said, "You know, there's room for everyone to succeed, and especially now there is because God, there yeah. are so many outlets." So I just talk about a fractured zeitgeist. <laughs> <laughs> That's my impression of Johnny Carson talking about the fractured media landscape. He's sort of like the the sarcastic social philosopher. Talk about a fractured psychiatrist. Yeah, it's Jesus. It's a splintered consciousness culturally. Id much? Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, you know, that's the other thing is that I've, I've had a lot of conversations about... Is there such a thing as oversaturation? You and I are pursuing the answer to that. But, you know, it is – there are so many platforms, so many different – so people will say on the internet, they'll go, why are you in the emoji movie? Why? What what the fuck are you doing in a movie called the emoji movie? And to those people, I always say, like, it's not for you. Right. I mean, Sony Animation would be – absolutely furious that I am even considering the idea that this movie is not perfect for every single person in the world. But we hipster gentleman who from your work is, you know, tweeting and about how ridiculous it is that we don't go see the movie. It's not for you. You don't have to see it. I'm trying, I'm making movies for nine year olds as well as my, aunt and uncle in Kansas who won't see anything that I do unless it's G-rated. I'm doing that. And if in the meantime, go see Deadpool 2. Like, right. go, go and bitch about how that wasn't as good as the first one. <laughs> Even though, like, there's plenty of shit that I'm doing that you can talk shit on that makes sense for you and your demographic. But, you know, we are so – there are so many places to ingest content. Even in the advertising space, I'm like – you know what? I will absolutely collaborate with Mucinex and Slim Jim and anybody because in a capitalistic society, you're seeing those advertisements either way. So why not make them funny? Just like an insur- a great insurance commercial should make you cry a little bit. <laughs> I, 
Life is so sad that when Allstate does it right, you should tear up a little bit. You fucking should. Jesus, it's a tiny movie about how sad and hard life is. For Christ's sake, it's a 30-second expose on how we are going to die and we should leave the most that we can to those that survive can on. I ju- can I also just, <laughs> branching off of that, tell you that in the Mucinec commercials, I, I root for the mucus. Yes, me too! Like, I always he's think... He's ostracized! Why? He is! He's a booger! I identify with he him fucking more than I do those pe- fucking assholes who won't take him to work, take him to the ballpark. Okay with having sickness for a little while. You know, it's... The sickness and Life it's has strength. mucus on it! Exactly. God damn it! And they I, say he's not a celebrity, I am. They make am you ride in celebrity. the... You try to fit in the overhead bin? Yeah, come on! You know, what is what is this united yeah oh god and that <laughs> no but that you know that that commercial was a lot about that situation we were prescient we knew that that was coming from some airline and we just wanted to so you know use an x for social change social satire through uh, expectorant <laughs> liquids what do we always say what do they oh yeah they got so mad at me you know it's so funny to work with companies like that because they got so mad that i um, made some joke on Twitter that uh, NyQuil and DayQuil uh, have cancerous properties. They will give you cancer. And so Mucinex is the only thing that you should be taking. And, I mean, Mucinex was like, you. not only can you not say that, why did you say that? And I was like, I don't know, man. I thought it'd be funny. I'm just yeah. a little glob of mucus that no one understands. Yeah, Jesus, the same. Stop ostracizing this poor booger. <laughs> Or booger. Free, as we free the yeah. booger. Yeah, right. Free exactly. the booger. Exactly. Let him go. But if you, you know, if you've got the, if you've got so many mediums that you can do, I mean, you, you do the same thing. You podcast. Yeah. And then you produce. You know, you'll the whole gamut. And if people want that content, why not give it to them? And it's it seems simply endless. You know, the amount of the people, and I think that's because. Here we go. Uh, we live in kind of this post-religious, post-meaning society where Nietzsche did call it from the three-point line swish that like art becomes your deity. That's what we turn to for comfort, for the feeling that the human condition is not just wasted and useless and meaningless. But instead you kind of look to other people. And I love that people love – train wreck and uh pete holmes crashing and louie and master of fun although i'm not you know it, it's those things are people saying like i want to know your life and laugh along with it so that i myself can maybe turn inward and laugh at my own kind sure. of predicament well it, it is it, you know not yeah predicament opportunity we are definitely in a in a world where um a lot of entertainment has become like religion to people because especially if it's things like feel boy thing that you've yeah, yeah well because yeah. when things feel unstable like people need things that they can rely on i want to watch lord of the rings <laughs> I'm, not, I'm joking but i'm not joking no you're absolutely right i mean i don't think you know it's that's escapism and especially you know yeah. fantastical escapism as yeah. well it's just a, it's just a buffer from reality but you know i think a lot of it is just not wanting to is just needing a break from the. Con- I, I mean, I, I've said it a million times, and I I completely think 
that our brains are not evolved to handle the amounts of information that we force into it Ugh, in today's burrito, society. Mr. Yeah. Hardwick. Yes. <laughs> what was it? What did you say the first thing? Was it uh, dropping truth sauce or yeah, yeah. some of the truth sauce? Yeah. Must yeah. Oh, drink. Jo- jo- truth sauce. Drink it up. Oh no, real juice. Drink real it up. juice. Yes. Drink it up. Ah! We came oh, back to it. Would, it's true. Real juice. Drink it. Drink up. it up. Yeah. yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. yeah. I I think absolutely right. You know that is something that. Um, God, yeah, you're uh, so exactly that, that like technology is moving quicker than we can keep up with it. There's more information that the human brain has to process that we, all of those things have led to an overwhelming anxiety that religion helped quash or quell, um, when it was at the forefront of human belief, because we don't have that. Now that's why it's important immediately to make marijuana legal nationwide because people need to sort of relax. They, this anxiety is overwhelming. People are the, so we just, and we're, it's going to take a second. And unfortunately we have to terraform the singularity is going to be a real, it, but that's like a digital gears. terraforming, right? Yeah. Yes, indeed. And, but you know, all this is moving too quickly. So the biggest thing that I tell Kate all the time is, we all need to be easy on ourselves. Like we need to be okay with all of this moving quicker than it should be. We need to be okay with people kind of feeling overwhelmed. This everything needs to be more okay. That was Nietzsche's big thing is like these values are relative. We need to stop pretending like they've come from on high. And we need to just be easier with ourselves. And that's that's why I am, you know, tirelessly in pursuit of saying Calm down. <coughs> laugh about this. This is all very funny. Just relax. Well, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's obviously for someone like myself who, you know. What a gas this conversation has turned into, huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? We just ripped These about were, boogers for like two minutes. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And I've got a gift for you. Yeah, keep going. Sorry. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I honestly think when I think about, you know, because I'm I'm anxious and I, I, I have anxiety, but I just have to deal with it without you know because with with weed that's how you work out it is well it is why you prepare for the next day that's but what i worry about with something like weed and i'm not a pot smoker so i don't understand it but i just think i could do that but then that's not real like it's i'm using something to but chris hardwick you're surrounded by things that aren't real. I would 100% agree with that. Your wallpaper is about fantasy and things that are real. But that doesn't affect my decision-making process. That you devote. Doesn't it? No. I I feel like like every time Chris Hardwick walks out of this room, he's got Star Wars on his brain, and unfortunately someone has to talk about how Boba Fett... Right, exactly. No, I mean, these are... They're all opiates, and for you to think... I'm trying... Here's what I'll say. Yes. I agree with what you're saying. I think that's a very that's, but that's just for me. I don't mean that a strong for strong perspective. To me, I'm trying with this, and this isn't your gift, but with this, my extended <laughs> play EPCD, a technology this that is, is antiquated and has been. Uh, I'm trying to convince people that none of this is real. 
that it is all fantasy, that there is no reason to believe that any kind of consciousness is... My wife is chanting right now with a bunch of Buddhists in fucking Silver Lake. You, Abe knows how much I despise the East Side. I mean, <laughs> sickening you, press What do you Jews, got against the East Side? Disgusting. But the West Side's full of bankers. Oh, I don't and... go on the West Side. We live, I, don't, I don't leave Hollywood, man. That's gotcha. why I'm wearing a hat that I bought at market from a guy that did not understand why I would buy this hat and I didn't understand why he was selling it. <laughs> none of this, none of it is real. But Kate's altered state of consciousness is uh, chanting, is uh, poetry, is reading poetry almost to the point where I'm asking her, you should probably stop reading right now. Like she has these other states of consciousness. I don't think that any of it is less real than mine. I mean, people don't. A lot of things that I do, people don't understand. They just think that doesn't that doesn't seem real. But they don't have to. Like you, you just have to. You just have to do what but you want to do. Even leaving Silicon Valley, they go, oh, "That doesn't seem real. Why would you? That that seems completely. Why would you make that?" And it's like none of this is real. This is all each person's. It's not even a journey. Each person's kind of experiment in reality is as real as anybody else's. And do you- and happiness is as real for someone who is not a billionaire and is not laughing on a private plane. And I, I say this from my perspective, as it is for a guy that just hit. He's out of work, but he just got a bullseye in his dart game, and he's so ecstatic. That happiness is exact. That's the utilitarian view of it, the John Stuart Mill. Like, everybody has an opportunity to be happy in this life, and it means the same thing, or they have an opportunity to be really, really sad and make other people sad. That's your decision. That's completely up to you. You know, and do you, are you? Because I know you. You're. A, we've talked about this before, but I know you're a, a Kurzweil guy. And the mm-hmm. science show that we're doing is in partnership with Singularity University too. Wow. And but <laughs> that's great. And Chris, that's important. Well, it is. But do you feel like? Uh, do, do you subscribe? Because you say, "Oh, nothing's real. Nothing's real." Do you think the universe is some sort of a simulation? Are you one of the universe's a simulation guys? Elon, you maniac. How could you possibly popularize this? Uh, TJ's, I've never seen him in this mad. Here's, uh, here's my fun one. I think that this life that all of us are living may be actually a dream that one has. Uh, you've probably seen Waking Life. But mm-hmm. if you die of natural causes, time, which is relative – slows down and you may even have this dream that feels like another life. And if it's that real, then if you die again in that, it can be even in a car accident, those final moments, time can slow down to the point where, because what, a a gnat lives 36 hours? That's an entire life for them. Who knows what a cat is thinking? So it's like going deep in Inception? It's like the farther down you go. But it is. It's a... It's that idea, and so why not treat this life as simply a dream at the end of a previous life, and why not believe that at the end of this dream, you may have another dream? That is a very modern, medical, ridiculous way of approaching Nietzsche's eternal recurrence, which was he he understood that if time was truly indefinite, then everything would repeat itself, right? It simply could not. That's just statistics. So that's the one that I like. And I like telling people that because it seems like a non-spiritual way to kind of be okay with – is that a Brennan Stimpy original? Uh, yes. Jesus Christ. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Hardwick in a nerd's heaven. This if you're just joining the podcast, I'm talking to a squirrel. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Whose uh, attention? Uh, so, right, exactly. Yeah. Now, then, then I'd be back talking about nuts, right? Balls and Boba Fett. Uh, yeah, I. Anyway, yeah, the, the ADHD. This is this is, so is the this is the uh, this is the Ren and Sibby part of the dream. I love it that we're in yeah right, right. There. and so that dream. Well, you're a good host. But whose dream is it? Whose dream is it's, it? It's the dream. Uh, it's each individual's dream. But for me, it's a dream where I'm like, yeah. But then that means that all this. I reality- get to do Gore Burger. You know what I mean? I, I get to do something that is so surreal, so ridiculous. That, of course, that would be the perfect version of this life. And I think there's a lot of people probably listening. They're like, well, my life isn't the perfect version of what I – no. That's capitalism or something else telling you that life should be different than it is and then it would be better. That's insurance companies. You know what I mean? It's – you should just be focused on how this is the perfect iteration of your life. But wait. So it, so let's just take this for a second and, and, and dissect this a little bit. Let's take this for a second and really bore people. Continue. <laughs> TJ, so, please keep talking. <laughs> You're listening to the Borberger show. <laughs> the Borberger show is one of our favorite things. The Borberger was keep a blast. I, I, I had so much fun doing your best, show. I had so much fun. So if uh, if I am if I am in the dream if I am in a dream in the death throes of another life and you are in the dream of the death throes of your other life, whose dream are we in right now? Are we are you a part of my dream? Doesn't matter. Well, but I feel like it does. Why? Why? Well, I don't know. That's like believing the truth is more important than myth, which Donald Trump just knocked that fucking argument into the ground. That's Nietzsche also thought that. He was like, Dude, why don't you get married? You love this Nietzsche person. God, you guys, why don't you get married? Yeah, I know, right. Well, I'll tell you what. I do, if I like him so much, why don't I marry him? It's because he went insane in the last years of his life and was playing the piano with his elbows. I... I, you know, this guy, this guy was so fucking prescient that he's, he called it from the three point line switch. He really was like, it'll take you guys two to 300 years to understand what the fuck I'm talking about. And he was right. He really, really was the eternal recurrence this idea that humans want myth more than truth. Where has truth brought us to? It's just through science. We now have created stuff that is destroying our own planet. I don't myth. For thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, believing that the sun comes up if we do this thing and if we dance, there will be rain. That he, That's OCD. Well, yeah, right, exactly. It is. No, but he thought, I think that, you know, he thought that maybe myth would end up conquering truth and science. And he's right. We have a president right now that you can put two videos up of him absolutely not telling the truth. People don't care. They love the myth that the jobs will come back. That well, life I don't... could be – that again is the most important part of the sentence, make America great. I, I don't think it's that people prefer truth over myth or myth over truth. I think people just create stories that they need to believe about anything that maybe has some bits of truth and some bits of, of myth and – that's just how we try to understand a world. And so – and once people do that, once people do that um, and it's in a part of their core belief system, they will create any amount of armor to protect themselves from any new information that challenges that idea. <laughs> and who would blame and so, them? And so I don't know if that's – so that's why I don't think it's necessarily truth or myth. I just think it's people create stories that have a mixture of both. And, you know, a lot of it is the, you know, I, I, I mention it <clears throat> often on the podcast, but the Dunning-Kruger studies, which, 
ultimately suggests that people with less information will always claim to know more at, through some sort of psychological mechanism, whether but to protect themselves. why wouldn't they? I mean, that's the other thing. You know, I think a lot of people just for a variety of reasons sort of attribute uh, like that I'm some Hollywood liberal or something like that. I don't – I actually – I applaud anybody who will work to believe something that makes them feel safe, makes them feel happy, makes them – feel optimistic. I, I don't – so I, I really – you know, anybody – we're all telling ourselves a story. We're all lying to ourselves about the importance of our life, about the – about everything. And that's okay. I, I just – I think, you know, from my perspective, I would rather everybody have an altruistic teleological direction than – one that is more selfish. Most people think that they have an altruistic. Yeah, right. I mean, they're saying, oh, well, look, I'm doing this for the future. No one does think. It's very rare. In very rare cases, I think, where someone's just completely fucked up, does someone do something that they go, I'm going to be evil today? I think everyone thinks that they have a sense. I think everyone everyone thinks that they have a sense of altruism. Scientologists. Everyone, everyone feels like they're doing something for that for for good. I know. I yes, but also yes, but also, um, you know, I think people, for the most part, should sort of deep down know that, like, a teacher or a social worker or a junior high basketball coach is doing something that's more about other people than themselves, right? And so, you know, I think not only should everybody kind of respect that, but also like figure out what part of their mission statement is to help other people and do something that's for the greater good. I may be wrong, but I do know that like there is a world – our president is a person that's like, hey, look, you know, you're either well-bred or you're not and that's the way it is and – you know, you look out for number one, and winning is the only thing that's important. There are losers. Everyone's a loser that he doesn't like. And there are winners, and I'm a winner because I've won this contest. Now, of course, deep down, he's eating candy, watching CNN, being like, nobody really does like me, not even my wife. And it's so sad. <laughs> it's such a sad, sad story. I think you have one of the spinners. Yeah, Can he I has a lot of anxiety. I've seen one in person. He has a lot of anxiety. And look at what a good host Chris is to kind of be like, well, this is turning political. Let's ask the bodyguard. No, 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 no. We can keep talking about that. I just... There's no reason to. I think in many ways because the same reason that I want to do more stand-up. We – lots of people are talking about this stuff. I'm trying to, with stand-up especially, talk about stuff that people aren't talking about, which is let's cut to the chase. It's not about politics. We need to talk about human beings, the human condition and what with. the fuck we're going to do right now because we have lost religion and soon people are going to realize that we have lost meaning. And so we've got bigger fish to fry. That's why I think all those Silicon Valley guys showed up and sat around Trump and like suffered his absolute buffoonery because Elon Musk is like, guys, we have bigger fish to fry. Okay. I know that the American democratic experiment is not going well right now, but if we don't fucking figure out how to harness the power of the sun, we are fucked. <laughs> and he said in his sort of beautiful accent, it but it so, is fucking real. It sounds real, so man. comic booky. We need to figure out how to harness the power of the sun, I mean, but it's yeah, kind of true. It's fucking real. Yeah. I mean, if Stephen Hawking is like, ladies and gentlemen, in the next hundred years, we need to live on Mars or this whole thing is a bye-bye. It was fun, but if, if that's where we're at, we got to get there quickly. And 
I also need to talk to human beings and tell them, like, listen, it's okay to die. That's fine. It's okay to let other people make the decision about when to exit because no one was in on the decision about when to enter existence. We got to start talking about that stuff immediately because if Nietzsche was right, he's there's a lag time on these epiphanies being accepted. You know, do you I think Jesus was pretty? He was pretty on point. It was smart of him to sort of pinpoint. No, truly, I mean that hair was at, on fleek. Look, he, he was on fleek and definitely black. You know, what, what maybe he didn't have blue hair. eyes. Maybe he didn't have blue eyes. If he could maybe have, been. he had hazel eyes, guys. That's all we're saying. Uh, but I think you know he. Had, it was there's a lot of good things that he's drawing from that allow people to sort of use it as a crutch but feel like it's a cross. Sure. Right? And Nietzsche just was too pretentious. He was just too deep into this fucking I, I need to be considered an intellectual. I do think brother. there is a Same danger. Same with Warhol. He was he was drawn he his he was pushed so much to be like all these other people should know that I'm a real artist. I'm not a commercial artist. I I flipped it. I went the other way. Fuck writing a bunch of books that nobody ever reads. Fuck trying to like be, you know, accepted by your surroundings. I sold out from the get-go. I love commercial <laughs> art. I was all about Yogi Bear 3D and still feel that was the pinnacle of my career and all of this is a downward slope and I told Steven Spielberg that and I said thank you for having me in your film but it'll never be as good as Yogi Bear 3D and he didn't know what the fuck I was talking about and didn't understand why I brought that up and was wasting his precious time but that is I, I love that I'm sick of people having ideas and not having a platform I mean Donald Trump doesn't have any ideas but he created the platform to tell everybody nothing by the way can I just say that I hope that late at night now Steven Spielberg's lying in bed next to Kate Capshaw and says a great artist by the way Kate a great artist and, and friends with my wife Kate and yeah. just says uh, God he's right up Never be as good as you. Yeah. I mean, he can go. I, I didn't know what he was talking about, but I looked into it and, and he, was, he was on point. I think I forget, but I think, did we talk about this? I think that I asked him because he's really something. I mean, I had one conversation with him. I was about to smoke weed because all I had for the day was just writing. I was about, and and Stephen I, was like, here, try some heroin. Yeah, right. He's like, um, I have very good black tar heroin. <laughs> You're kind of wasting your own time. Uh, Would you like to tie off with some of the skin from the dinosaurs in yes, Jurassic Park? Please enjoy. <laughs> we invented the technology for it. I, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of uh, I got this call from an unidentified 310 number. And I, for some reason, I was like, I'm going to pick this up. I said, we have Steven for you. And I said, what? And Steven Spielberg, this is Steven Spielberg's office. We have Steve. I go, oh, thank God I didn't smoke weed. Is this Randy Lickey? Who is this? Right. And the assistant. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> he does a great impression. Uh, but and, and I talked to him and I said, well, look, I'm, you know, I'm doing all these different platforms because I want America to kind of trust me that they can turn to me when they. And he goes, oh, no, no, I know. I know what you're doing. I've been watching all of it. What is? Why did he call it you? It was the most ominous, strange. Because we have a movie set up with with DreamWorks called X Criminals that uh, my cousin Miller Davis, Mister Davis, is writing with me, and then he had put me in uh, office Christmas party almost as like, can you be at the center of a film? Let's find out. It was almost like a, like a screen test mm -hmm. in a weird way. And then he had brought this movie, and so I think this is how I like to think about it: is that he's this 
this king, this strange, you know, president of Hollywood. And I think that he said, you know what? Because I, 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 he saw the dailies of Office Christmas Party. He said, you know what? I've seen the dailies. We already have a film set up with him. Bring him to me. <laughs> Bring him here. I want to see for myself what this is all about. And so they brought me to England. They really did call and be like, Steven Spielberg would like you to go to England. He's written a part in this movie for you. So you'll go to England and you'll wait. And that's what I did. I went with Kate and we were in this gigantic, strange, you know, English estate that is now a hotel. And we just waited. And then finally he was like, come, come, bring him to me. And then he's the greatest director on the face of the planet. (laughs) Working with a child who is so excited and has a great sense of humor. But he, and I got to be the, uh, you know, this is why Silicon Valley, I'm like, I, I, I'm so grateful that I was on. I learned so much from Mike Judge, so much from those guys. But it it was that moment when working with him where I was like, uh, I think my character kind of wants to be Boba Fett. And in this world of the Oasis is sort of like Boba Fett. And so I kind of want to do the voice as an impression of Boba Fett. Like he's trying to be Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. And Spielberg was like, Yeah. That sounds great. Let's try that. That sounds great. Come on. Let's do it. All right, guys. We're making movies. This is what he would yell to the crew. We're reliving our childhood. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. And it was so interesting to then do that and have him continue to be like, you know, you're really funny. That's That sort of was the vibe the whole time. He's like, you're really funny. He would come up to me after three or four takes or something, and he would go, hey, you know, I know we're kind of like focusing on like the hero and the villain right now, but when you keep being like, I have this neck thing. It's so funny. Like we really are laughing. So I just wanted to let you know that. So just keep doing it. And it's so well placed. It's really funny. So it was this cool thing where he was like, you're really, you just take all my funny bone, which who the fuck imagine telling 12 year old TJ that Steven Spielberg is like, that guy, what about (laughs) it? You know? And, and, but he was sort of saying over and he said at the end of ready player one, he said, which is, I want to give you this gift from ready player one. But he he said at the end of it, he goes, well, you know, you're really busy. You've got – I mean you've got Silicon Valley. You've got Goreburger and, and I think he's a fan of Goreburger. He sort of thinks that that's so silly and weird and nothing like it is on television. He's and right. Like, There's and, nothing like it on but, television. But like you, I love other people. I like interviewing. I like hearing. But he said, he said, look, you've got all this stuff going on. And he just said – it was so strange. I said, well, look, I, I got I, – it took me like weeks to get the courage at the end of it to be like, you know, I would – and I brought my high school English teacher who's, who teaches uh, Steven Spielberg in his film class. I flew him and his family to England to meet Steven Spielberg and his son – uh, broke a croquet mallet. I mean, that story is just hilarious for a number of reasons. But I had Spielberg sign the mallet to Mr. Madison, my high school film and English teacher. And he now has it in his class. To because he asked Spielberg, he said, I teach this thing called the Spielberg face. It's a short film on how you always move in on people looking at something that's huge, close encounters, all of it, dress, everything. And he said, have you seen this? And Spielberg goes, oh, yeah, no, no. And Mr. Madison said, well, do you do you like it? Do you think it's good for me to teach that? And Spielberg said, yeah, no, I love it. Yeah, I think that's a great – that's an excellent way of sort of teaching the stuff that I'm doing. So he's able to say, hey, if you don't like this 
section of my course. Fuck you. Steven Spielberg does. So, but after all of says that, that to the students. and I think, I think Spielberg really did. He loved that gesture. He loved that he did it because he's big on loyalty. He's big on sort of helping other people like you. He loves sort of talent and film and what. Yeah, Spielberg and I are very similar. Very I mean, similar. it's if you make the spreadsheet of the you list, are, it's like the checkboxes are, are, it's all checkboxes. You, you wear glasses a little bit less, but yeah, he, uh, you know, I, I could wear more. At the end of it, he says, he kind of said, so we'd love to make this movie with you. And and it was this weird thing. I I had built up the courage to go, well, do you, you know, would you like to go to dinner and talk about kind of a partnership in film since we've worked together on a bunch of stuff, including she's out of my league and fucking carpoolers back in the dizzy. I didn't say back in the dizzy to Steven Spielberg. I think that would be disrespectful. <laughs> but um, he sort of was saying like, when you're ready and I know you're busy, we should make films. I think that that's something that you should be doing. And I don't know that, you know, that gives, that gives a person a lot of confidence, but it's really anxiety inducing. That's why I'm going to smoke weed immediately after finishing this interview is that 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 is somebody saying in a big way, like, buddy, if you want to do it, like, let's go, let's do it. But you're busy right now. You've got a lot going on right now. You're still on this television show that I love. Spielberg's a huge fan of Silicon Valley, but he also sort of was saying, you also, you know, you're doing this thing called the Goreburger show. And there's not really anything like that. So you don't have a lot of time. So what do you want to, where are we divvying up our attention? What's, what is, where, where are you working? Where's the work headed? What do you want to do? And uh, between that and my father saying, geez, you know, actually the last couple of episodes, I was like, this early character is wearing a little thin. Between perfect, perfect father son relationship. He's yeah, I wonder why you smoke weed. Southeast Kansas, right, exactly. I wonder why the. I in Los Angeles being like, Dad, did please. You I did good, right. Did you see Gorberger? I don't get it. Uh. You know what? Actually, though, he likes Gorberger. My mother likes Gorberger, and they both are like, because instead of always like fucking people over or looking out for number one, or I can do that character. I'll do it in Deadpool. I'll be I'll be in Deadpool five. Everybody coming to theaters twenty thirty million. Singularity's already happened. You're watching it in your eyes. <laughs> you've already seen it, right? You've already seen it when it was announced. Yeah, the so. Gorberger is optimistic and excited and loves human beings and wants to know about them and doesn't understand and wants to ask questions that have never been asked of these particular guests. And it's Japanese and it's a throwback to the 90s. It's different and it's positivistic. Whereas Silicon Valley is satire and great, but I really thought the best contribution I could make to the show. They said, well, how do you want to be involved? Because HBO is amazing. They released the Gorberger pilot. I love, love HBO. They sort of said, well, how would you want to be involved? You know, how could we make Ehrlich Bachman continue to be a part of the show? And I really did think the best contribution I can make is to not be involved. The show has to change, right? If, if Ehrlich's not on it, then it's more room for other characters. It's more of it. It's just a different dynamic. And the worst thing that happens with shows is when they keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Um so well, I just – The important know. thing is you have to do what makes you happy and it doesn't matter if anyone understands that because ultimately you have to be happy and you have to pursue what makes you happy and you have yeah. to – if that means limiting stuff for a while or trying new things or spending time with Kate or yeah. or doing whatever it is, 
ultimately, your happiness is the goal. Like, you don't have to be everything to everybody. It doesn't really matter. And you, this isn't like a big, like, fuck you to the fans. Like, oh, you know, I've got other stuff going on or something like that. It's not as if I'm leaving this to then go, like, live in Turks and Caicos. Like, do or a movie with Spielberg or God something. Damn it. No, but it is, I want to leave this to be able to do, you know, I have podcast fans that are like, you know, you don't really do the show that often. It's kind of a bummer. Cashing in. Right. Cashing in with Cash Levy. Cashing in with two. Uh, yeah, and it's on the Nerdist Network. What? Uh, but it's, it is, I'm going to go and do other things to make people laugh. It isn't like a, ugh, God, I'm so tired. Like you, when I stop working in one arena, in one medium, in one area, I go and I work in another. Or I split that energy into several different mediums. Yeah, I'm still I'm still working for you, you know, America, just not on TJ. HBO in that capacity. I'll be on Crashing again, though. I keep bothering Pete Holmes. He hasn't really been returning text, but I think that's because he changed his number. Go ahead. Game change! <laughs> uh, you know, TJ, when God closes the door, he uh, probably just takes a nap and says, leave me alone. Yeah, right, I don't want yeah, you coming right. into my house. Why are you here? Yeah, what exactly, are you doing? Exactly. Also, you created me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, well, I just want to make sure that you feel... What is this? You got this, this gift. I know. I don't mean to divert the attention, Please. but... So I do a... Um, Every time I do a film, because I'm not a very good actor, I'll buy things that I think the character would buy. And I also buy a talisman, which mm-hmm. is like a good luck object, because I don't believe in really luck or any of that stuff. So I think it's funny. T- so for Underwater, this uh, underwater thriller with Kristen Stewart and Vincent Cassel, the coolest. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because oh, yes, our stage it. manager, John, is Kristen's dad. And, I and he was the like, greatest time ever. Abe was there. We John for- fucking Stewart. He's, he's the best. He's the greatest. He's yeah. the greatest. Love him. And Kristen is the greatest. And Vincent Cassel is the coolest man in all of France. And he's always in a rope smoking spliffs in between, you know, the text talking about, oh, have you seen Booba? Do you know Booba? The French rapper? Oh, come on. You come in here. We'll smoke and you'll see Booba videos. He, that whole experience, uh, my ability to do well in that rested on I bought an antique blowtorch because the character is a welder, and that was my talisman, right? That was my good luck thing that I kept with me. Mm-hmm. Um, for Ready Player One, I bought one or two Boba Fett related things. And that's what this is. And that, so that's a is, good Boba Fett. That is a talisman a good from Ready Player One that I would sort of carry and sometimes keep on me in the motion capture suit, um, which I don't know if that makes it better because that means it's not in a pocket, but it was directly against my skin. I apologize. Oh, nice. Uh, but I would sort of keep that with me as kind oh, of like a good luck that's why charm. It tastes like balls. Mm, delicious. Salty. Salty Boba Fett. <laughs> Boba Fett and balls. Salty balls. <laughs> what? So, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, but that, that was – and I – like you, I think, you know – I wanted to be this funny Boba Fett because Boba Fett is this character, this fantastical bounty hunter that I just like has had so much meaning throughout my life. When I first watched that series, I was like, that's the coolest guy ever. <laughs> and damn you, George Lucas, for trying to expand on it. You know, because I mimic his voice. He only says five or six things in the entire trilogy. And, you know, it's he's no good to me dead. Yeah, what about me? You know, so I. 
Yeah, that was that was a talisman from that. I thought I, I told Kate, I said, should I give Chris this? Is this like a weird present? And she goes, Jesus, TJ, that is the perfect present. <laughs> she, she's absolutely and right. And I walk into wallpaper that has both been yeah. all over it. <laughs> so it, 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 it does kind of work. Where is he? Oh, there he is. There he is. Yeah, it fits. It's perfect. I mean, it's perfect. I it's appreciate. Great. I appreciate. You can the, throw it away the minute that I'm I not going to throw it away. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to play. You know what? I feel like I should let you place it on the shelf in a place that you feel best. Uh, like I just the, put it in front of one day. Maybe it'll be a ready player. You know what? Right next to, just a little bit behind, but right next to Job of the Hut. Right next to, right next to Job of the Hut, and in front of a VHS for. art yeah. piece of Stranger Things. Someone ah! gave me a VHS tape. I have the cassette. only VHS cassette I own is Space Jam with Michael Jordan, and uh, we didn't have to Ryan. say the cast. Everyone yeah, knows right. what Space knows Jam is. Space Jam with uh, Bugs Bunny, I but, believe, but that was, and that was uh, so Tasmanian <laughs> Deville. He, Tasmanian Deville, as he's known in Europe. <laughs> That's his actor's uh, name. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was so cool in Ready Player One to be able to do that. I mean, that that's a real dream. Is like, yeah, funny Boba Fett. That's the perfect part for me. And it was so cool because Boba Fett really like he has no boss. He, he'll work for anyone. He is a mercenary in the truest sense of the word, and that's what I rock is. So it was so cool to kind of because Boba Fett's bigger than Jabba Hutt and uh, Jabba the Hutt, and also um, Darth Vader sort of has to say to him like, "No disintegrations," right? And he's like, "As you wish," you know. So it it was really really cool to do. That film, that's like the thing that I'm most excited about. And it, it will look like a video game for most of the film. So they're inventing technology. It's going to be different. No one will ever have seen anything like it. It's exciting. What an incredible experience. What an incredible... What a lucky, what a lucky, lucky fellow I, I ended up being. I mean, I'm so... That's why I give you that talisman is I like, I wish for everybody that... But, it, you know, Ready Player One, like Deadpool, those... And like Leaving Silicon Valley, those are decisions... That I make because they just – there was no R-rated superhero comic book movie. Right. Right? There hasn't been a movie that is mostly a video game. Right? Even if it's based on original property. The Emoji movie, at least it's – you know, I'm not running over there to do Hotel Transylvania 2, although I think that Sony should make that because there are so many people that loved Hotel Transylvania 1. Mm-hmm. My wife being one of them. There she is. She's one of the many reasons it. we love her. Still watches it. But the Emoji – movie was a new property it was a different idea it was something that's different and so i'll i'll take that swing rather than sort of wait for the softball that is mike and david need another wedding movie well, God, you know whatever. honestly the the people's careers that i always look at and i go fuck mild it. grin just My, <laughs> the people's careers that i look at and i go yeah they're doing it right you know people like will ferrell he just does whatever he wants oh whatever this seems fun i'll do this brian cranston the first time he was on the podcast he goes you know i i like I don't like each project to be the same as the last one. I like to try something weird and new. So why not? Why not be in a Power Rangers movie? Like, why not try yeah, weird, fun cares? stuff? And then, and then he'll go and do kind of like a period piece drama about... And he was... People forget Fucking that he, Trumbo. Was on, he was on Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, they don't forget. He was a, a classic comedy role. Yeah, he's so funny. And one of the funniest scenes of all time was when she's shaving his back and he's like so dry and funny. But I think that's right. And then the one thing, though, about me is that I will never – Gore Burger is so much more important to me than being considered a real dramatic 
actor taken seriously. I don't care about that at all. And I'll never do. They almost passed before they told me about Underwater because they're like, it's this underwater thriller and we know you don't do anything but comedy. But then when I read the script, I go, well, now, wait a second. That sounds actually interesting. Why would they want me to be in this? Why would they offer me this role? And then I read it and I was like, oh, perfect. I know exactly how to be the comedy in this film. Mm -hmm. So I'll forever do comedy, but let's fill holes in the landscape rather than add more schlock and more of the same stuff. And and do things twice when I want to do a big Hero 7. Let's do a How to Train Your Dragon 3. Just like you're like, if I'm talking dead, then I can also be talking about these other things because not only does that work, but people connect to it. So I'm happy to make more. Excuse me. I'm a big, big fan of that. Well, I think you also like to take things and break them in a fun way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want some more water? Hey, Deb, can you just grab some water out of the fridge in the Deb was the one who gave a mild grin at one of my comments, just like a very subdued. Look at that. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. Um, but uh, I also think uh, it's like I imagine let's, let's, say, let's say someday you win an Oscar for something. You're a guy that I can see going. Let's say someday I win Powerball and take all of us to Turks. Hey, guys, I'm look, I welded nipples on yeah, this. Yeah, like, yeah, it just yeah. seems like it, it just seems like you like to. You like to break things for fun, yeah, like a totally. child. Like a child. The funniest thing, one of the funniest things I've ever seen, and I, it was one of those things we've talked about this, where you see a comedian do a bit, and you're like, ugh, why didn't I think about? You're like, why didn't I think of that? And it was Will Ferrell got the Mark Twain Award, and he started talking about, it, and then he dropped it and broke it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the whole rest of the speech is about like him kind of feeling like, I, I don't know, should I walk off stage? Is there another one of these? <laughs> All that stuff. And it was, of course, a fake award that right. he had planned that for. But yeah, I mean, the reason I host the Critics' Choice Awards is because my speech when I won was such like a weird, not fuck you to awards, because thank goodness we have competition within art and not just sport. But it was sort of this like I I don't care. It's this is a moment for me to make all of you in the room laugh and everybody watching laugh. But I don't. This isn't about me or any of that. And they're like, "Do you want to host the awards?" And I said, "Did you see my speech? Are you sure you?" <laughs> and they said, "Yeah." And then I did it, and they let us do whatever. And so then we did a second year, and it was even more ridiculous. And now I forever will be the guy that's like I don't care about winning an Emmy or getting nominated for an Emmy. I'd rather do the work of the comedian, which is to host. Sure. So I would host the Critics' Choice Awards for as long as they'll let me do it. Yeah. I, that is an opportunity to do comedy, whereas giving a speech, you don't have that much time, they play you off, and I'd rather host the Academy Awards than win one. Oh, wow. You want to host the Academy Awards? Actually, that's the Academy Award for being the best comedian in Hollywood is hosting the Academy Awards. It's such a thankless job, though. Fuck yeah, it is. Everyone, most, <laughs> have you seen any other things I do? Most of my jobs are thankless. <laughs> There's less thanks than uh, you're welcome in my career. I fucking get painted blue to be a genie for Slim Jim. That's yeah. a very talk about thankless. Very yeah, I, I, can, I can handle a three-hour telecast. I've done it before with Critics Choice. Yeah, but that's a very refreshing point of view because it it's it's so much it it's so honest to just say like yeah this is what I want I don't care about this other thing this is what I care about yeah. you know I'll, I want to do this commercial because fuck it I want to do a commercial like I love. There's no – I love that you never justify anything that you do other than just like, yeah, I fucking want to do it. What do you fucking – There's fuck no fucking you? justification for it. It's like the Emoji movie. I'm like, I don't have – I got to parasail into Gun Film Festival in a yellow tuxedo and the when I introduced the trailer for the Emoji movie, the international trailer, the Hollywood Reporter was like – and he continually mispronounced – 
Gun Film Festival, apparently saying gun over and over. <laughs> gun Film Festival. Like, that's what – that's ridiculous. That's funny. That's what makes Tilda Swinton be like, wait, are they – are they showing the emoji movie here at Gun Film Festival? And I'm like, no. Are you kidding? And then Kate has to be like, uh, we premiered the international trailer. And they're like, okay, whatever. I mean, he's got weed. So yep. it's fine. We're happy he's here. But, you know, that, Gorber, yeah, you don't have to. I'm doing it because it's fun and funny to me. But more importantly, it's funny to everybody else. So I'll do whatever. They just There's uh, the next video game in The Hobbit series they said well will you play this kind of internet troll and i looked at the creative and it was funny and i was like yeah of course why not i mean that's a people who play video games more than they watch movies that's my opportunity to make them laugh right yeah and i'm not going to get that shot they're not going to go to the emoji movie so yes absolutely I would love to do that so that's so it's all about just reaching different audiences and fucking around with those structures and that's what's satisfying life is very very tragic trudge through all of it. And I'd like to they, commend you on your alliteration. First there, of all. Thank you so much. Uh, always alliteration. Always. That's assonance. Uh, that's assonance. And, uh, and I think, you know, I want to try and reach as many people as possible. So that's why you do Transformers 4. Not because you'd go see it in the theaters, because I wouldn't. But because, <laughs> but because because it did you're huge like in me. because you're, it did huge in China, and so like if there's a Chinese so guy at a factory who's like, well, they have suicide nets, so we can't kill ourselves. But <laughs> I did. I saw that movie and that guy with the stupid hair. He was kept screaming. He's like, "There's so many scary cars." <laughs> That's great. There, there are a handful of people in the world that can get away with trolling the people they work for. I'm not one of those people. But you, but I remember when. Well, Z- you're too nice. But you're I remember right. when Zach Galifianakis was doing True Calling that. Fox show. Yeah, yeah, in the very beginning. And <laughs> they <laughs> he would do it. I think they actually had him stop doing interviews because he would do these press chunks and they and they'd go, uh, so um uh what do you like about the show? And he'd go, Nothing. <laughs> I don't like it. You yeah, know, and just thing. to fuck yeah, with right. him. And that's pretty good Zach. And uh and they were like, Oh what? but he would always get away with it people go, Oh, it's Zach. And I feel like TJ, you can say you can say that stuff you can say whatever you want. And people are like, Oh, it's TJ. Well, it's weird to me that Disney would come to me and be like, Would you like to do this movie after like you know, I on, on Silicon Valley I slapped a kid in the face and called him a cunt on television. And they're like, we've got this uh, animated series of How to Train Your Dragon. Would you be interested in being involved? I'm like, have you seen anything that I've <laughs> like? Watch my stand-up. Not only is it offensive, it is somewhat confusing. <laughs> I, I, I like. I definitely. I'm amazed by that too. But I think in part it's because like I learned so much from Michael Bay. Right. I mean, I would yell right back at him and he would yell at me and we would be like, fuck off, shut up, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, when he said to me, he's like, yeah, you know. You are. You're like a good improviser. So your first take is usually your best and you have trouble kind of replicating that take. So that's that's definitely something you, you could work on. And I, I just – when I heard that, I'm like, OK, great. That is – so he, he is a great director. He will direct you towards what you need. So all these things that I make fun of, actually I more than appreciate, I venerate. I look at Yogi Bear 3D and I really think – under the conditions, with the material given, which was very good considering, with the people that I was working with, being in New Zealand, time zone upside down, actually physically going crazy because my brain was bleeding, narrating my own behavior, obsessed with entanglement puzzles, hours that were beyond reasonable, 16-hour days, 18-hour days, 
That is the best thing that I've ever done. I, it truly, and I every time somebody's like, "God damn it, thank you for being Yogi Bear 3D," because my kids watch it all the fucking time, and so I have to watch it all the time. And you really do make me laugh. I'm like, yes, because that's the best thing I've ever done in my life. Everything else, including this podcast, is a downward spiral to a lonely and careless death that only my wife will truly lament. <laughs> <laughs> you should write a self-help book. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know, do you yeah, feel yeah. like you fit in? Mm. In general? Yeah. Or do you care? It doesn't seem like you don't care. Well, nihilists can't really profess to be a nihilist and like actually care. I, I, I but you can't be a nihilist and really I do anything. A, I, yeah, you can. No, you can't. You'd never do anything if you no, were a nihilist. No, no, no. A positive nihilist is if nothing means anything, then anything can mean everything. And for you, fandom and nerdistry and connecting with an audience, you've made that your everything. So when you're a nihilist, you can finally make your own meaning. You become God. You become your own God. So it's a very positive thing. The, the nihilists that are portrayed in the Big Lebowski and stuff like that, those are all wannabes. They're well, like, just I, I would just say, you know, <clears throat> my unsolicited advice for you is just – and it seems like you do this. But just it's, I think it's good to get out of your own head sometimes because I think that's part of the reason why maybe Nietzsche went a little crazy. It's like if you're constantly – No, I think he definitely went crazy. He thought himself into insanity. But I've already gone crazy once and it isn't particularly interesting. Insanity is sort of this confusing – your day-to-day is confusing and you spend most of your time trying to make nonsense make sense. And I would rather be a sane person who's trying to explain to people that their sense is just nonsense. It's just ridiculous. Just accepting the nonsense. Yeah, but it's very strange. I have gone insane. I know what that is like to have happen and it's not particularly interesting. It's less challenging because nothing really – you're living in a world where, yeah, I mean, I was going so crazy that I was like, I know how this conversation is going to end. So I'm going to narrate what that's going to be. And then I'll hit all of those points and then return to it. And that's perfectly normal behavior in conversation. And, you know, people were like, is this guy on meth? Like, what the fuck is going on with him? It's just not really that interesting. It just, it isn't I guess you know what to kick it back to what you're saying is that for some people, if they smoke weed or they drink a lot, that's not real. That sort of that type of uh, medication and and feeling less anxious, that's not real. I think that going insane, it just it takes you too far away from all the beautiful things about life, which can be sad, which can be hard, which can be tragic, but also can be the height of human emotion and happiness. Well, you may not have a lot of control over going insane, though, right? I mean, it just... I didn't. I mean, I, my brain started bleeding. Jesus Christ. Why did your brain bleed? I mean, if you'd done your research and gone on, this is not happening, I had an arteriovenous malformation that hemorrhaged, and, uh, and so I did have more blood and more activity in my right frontal lobe, so I started to physically actually go insane. And that was during Yogi Bear 3D. So when you watch the movie, when you're like, wow, that was pretty funny. Your brain is actually bleeding. This seems cogent. I am currently going more and more insane as like just droplets of blood enter a part of my brain where they shouldn't be. I mean, they should probably show it in medical schools and be like, this is what happens. This is slowly Amanda. When your brain starts bleeding, you do a Yogi Bear movie. I, I, I did what I always do in every project, but especially films. 
regardless of the circumstances, whether it be an underwater wearing a 110-pound suit and you sprain your foot and you're underwater and you almost drown, all that stuff, you just, no matter what the conditions are, you're trying to create an experience for other human beings to be like, wow, that was a ride. Jesus, I'm just... You know, and it, that can be underwater thriller. It can also be like, well, man, that was that was really funny. That was actually really funny. And boy, my ugh, my kids can't get enough of it. They just as soon as the movie ends, they want to watch it again. You're you're trying to do that. If you don't achieve that, <coughs> then you might as well not have you know come to play. It's just like you do it or you don't. Well, I hope you're. I I do hope you're. I hope you're happy, and I hope you're not like I hope you're happy. But I mean, I do hope you're happy. <laughs> you and- ruined Silicon Valley. I hope you're happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I hope you're happy. Thank I hope you. you do, you know, because I, well, I do, I do care about you a lot, and yeah. I do, and I do feel like, you know, our our ships pass every so often all the we'll time. Have, like, a phone and call I want to say, a text I, exchange and, or, I, and I hope that your wedding was was everything that you wanted it to be. I didn't even get to ask you about that because you guys were so sweet to invite us. And I just think I don't really know your wife. You know, I, I would like to know her more. But from our sort of friendship within their family, they're all such kind, good people. And that's what I feel like I've married into is this incredibly kind, amazing family from Indiana. My wife grew up on a horse farm and was picking asparagus. But when you have a partner, and this is what it seems like you have, when you have a partner who is there to support you but also is there to receive your support Mm -hmm. and is encouraging and understands you and knows that – it's Chris, man. I mean, he's going to be – he's going to spend an extra couple hours working on this episode of At Midnight because he needs it to be great. When you have someone who accepts that and supports it but also knows that you're present and trying to support them, that just changes your life. And that's why lately with everybody, if you're if you're complaining about your relationship more than you're praising it, then you're not in a good position. There is – Take the plunge to find somebody who does understand, who doesn't make you feel bad, who does want to learn how to better accept you rather than change you. And it seems like you're in that position. I'm so happy for oh, you. Oh, yeah. For that. I mean, I'm really, really happy. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. Yeah. It's really crazy. And I always say to her, like, uh, you know, you. I got the better end of the deal on this yeah, one. Yeah, I would say that. And uh married and, and, up. and I don't and I don't say it to fish for like, no, I didn't like I legitimately believe it. And uh and I don't I, I don't yeah, it is just one of those crazy things. Like, how do you exist? How are how did I find you? How am I lucky enough to it's it it did that part's kinda of mind bendy. Kate Kate has a thing where sometimes I'll be like, Golly, we were really lucky. And we talk to other couples about this too. We go, Well, you know, we're really lucky. And Kate always says, Well, What's so lucky about two people that are kind and altruistic and only care about the the best for other people? What What's so lucky about two of those people finding each other? And so that's the other thing that I tell a lot of people is they go, well, you know, talk about hashtag freaking squad goals and relationship goals. Like we, we look to you guys. And, and I always say like if you are kind, if you live in a way that you're – then you're going to – you're you'll attract somebody else like that. And then the two of you together – We'll be able to hopefully raise children that are like that. But more importantly, you'll be able to reap the benefits of how good you've been to other people and how much you care about the rest of the world by meeting someone who feels the same way and will do that for you. Yeah. And then just don't give your kids asshole names. Yeah, just don't call anybody Bryce. Certainly not with a Y. <laughs> not an Asher, not a Luna. <laughs> not an Asher, not a Luna, not a Bryce among the bunch. <laughs> not some poor Bryce is going to be on the public service. Well, you don't, what I do? Vincent Cassel, you know, he mispronounces Boba Fett as Boba Fett. Yes. Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Con. 
Cannes Film Festival. Cannes Film Festival. It was so funny to have that international audience of pretentious filmmakers be like, why the fuck are the two of you here? And as we walked the red carpets, we were serious. Kate brought an arsenal of dresses. She was, this is a huge deal for her as a fashion icon to be somebody who has that many cameras snapping away. And so they were like, why the fuck is this guy here from the Emoji movie? And also he's taking it not seriously, but he's like, he cares about it. He's here. He's not being disrespectful. And that's my biggest thing is like, I'm not, I am so, uh, perplexed as to why I was able to hoodwink Hollywood into letting me have a career that I walk around just on eggshells of gratitude, just being like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for having so just, me. Thank you for just having try me. to harness, just as we wrap this up, to just try to harness the, like, to squeeze, to, to real juice, drink it up. Yes! To harness some hey, TJ Shay. juice. Like, how how would you describe that juice? If I were to be able, if I could juice you what would that juice taste like? Katie right now is like, where is this going? You were trying to taste the juice. If uh, I were... <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. And here's what I'd say. You can drink this up, America. Because it's about as real Canada, as too, gets. and a little bit of England and five people in yeah, Japan. Yeah, there's... You know, you've got a healthy base in Australia. Uh, I, you know, I think um, if your mission statement... It's... it's uh, you know... I'm driven by the philosophy. If the mission statement is ultimately altruistic, you don't need any sort of God, any kind of higher anything. And I think that's really helpful. Actually, for the friends that I have that are in the program, you know, they really are open to like a higher being, higher power, whatever it is. Um, I think if your higher power is Marcus Aurelius was bowed it, bowed it like a motherfucking pimp from history, philosopher king in the motherfucking house. He, you know, just to be driven by philosophy and to be driven to do better and do for others, that is a really easy way to get a work ethic that can get you a very successful career in Hollywood with just a modicum of talent. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Yeah. But it's, I mean, really let your work, let your work ethic be driven by your philosophy and the need to be altruistic and you will never tire. It will just be such a fun ride. You will be the booger where someone says, you know what? Sit in first class. Sit in first class. You will be the Come that to the party. I'm going to take you to work today. Mr. Mucus, the Mucinex <laughs> man. I adore you, TJ. Chris, Miller. thank you so much for having me. Thank this you so much. Oh, and we should promote your stand-up special. Of Go- yeah, Goreburger, Meticulously Gore Ridiculous. Burger Central. Talk about oversaturating everything. June 17th, Meticulously Ridiculous. Uh, I hope everybody likes it. I'm sure it will divide a lot of the audience. But as we said the first time that I was on your show, better to be polarizing than neutralizing. And most of all, thank you for your support of Goreburger because you, among the people that I love and admire are one of the people that really got it. Like you got the joke, you came on the show, you love the, the whimsy of it, the labyrinthine like puppetry of it. Absolutely. Um, and so thank you so much for that because that's, I want to make more of that and continue to make things like that that are both confusing, astonishing and new. Excellent. Just thank like you. you, sir. Well, I appreciate thank it. You. I love you. Uh, go. Enjoy the extended play EP and your Boba Fett talisman. The right-hand man of Jabba the Hoot. Real juice. Drink it up. Real juice. Drink Enjoy it up. Enjoy your burrito. Hashtag. Are we sure that I didn't say better to be polarizing than neutralizing? We are positive. Okay. But you know what? Only you would go back and have someone figure that out for sure. So the next time I'm on the show, I'll tell you what. If 
This is real. If it was you that said it, I will eat enough burritos. Abe will bring five, ten burritos, and I will eat enough burritos that I will stop enjoying it. <laughs> That's my promise to you. Wait, what, what number does that get to you to? What if you get like six. a third of the <laughs> six? What if you get a third of the way into the first burrito and you're like, you know what? I'm I don't I'm I, no longer enjoying. I this. was not. The Buddy, steak's I a little ate, dry. I ate two Italian beef sandwiches in less than a minute on Conan's live Chicago show. Okay, I can make it through more than a single burrito. Okay, good. All right, the burrito challenge has been laying there down. Has. Yes, I'm sure listeners can actually. Yeah, they'll be able to. Just, they'll go back, check it out, and they'll decide. Or decide my fate. The fate of my tummy. <laughs> the fate of TJ's colon is the, in your hands. The fate of TJ's tummy. The unauthorized autobiography. His brain bled. Will his colon bleed? Yes. <laughs> Which will it be? Is it Chipotle or a mom and pop shop like cactus? <laughs> the end. The end. Thank you, Chris. Oh, my God. That was great. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Norton. Get the security you need and the speed you want with Norton Core. Go to norton.com slash Nerdist to save $30 if you pre-order before July 1st. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here... You're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.